For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries.
Uh, if you know where that's at, you're probably lost or something. Trying to get through there. So, uh, it's a it's a one street town. I mean, you're you're in and out in two minutes. Uh, but he was pastoring there, and, and I was in church, you know, three or four times a week. And uh, eventually, I decided I can't remember exactly how old I was. I think I was about eight or nine. But I decided to give my life to the Lord. Amen. And uh, just a bunch of different things started happening. I throughout my life, I was just always constantly with my dad and things like this, as he did ministry. And a lot of people thought I'd be called into ministry and things like that. My dad always, though, he reminded me that ministry is something you have to be called to. It's not something you choose. You have to be called to ministry. And so I waited and prayed and waited and prayed until eventually my senior year of high school, you know, how all the teachers, they start asking you, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do when you graduate? Are you going to go to college? Are you just going to uh, start working or do both? And so I finally decided that, uh, we had a project in school, and I finally decided I'm going to do this project. It was about, you know, what are you, what's your career that you're going to choose? And I chose, uh, for that project, I chose computer hardware engineering, and so I researched all of that uh, that first semester of my senior year of high school. And then uh, after I did that entire project and learned all this stuff about it, the end of that semester, I was just sitting at my house. It's it very, <laughs> very surreal. I was just sitting at my house one day, and I just felt the Lord speak to me and said, Jonathan, you were called into the ministry. And I, I really didn't know what to do in that moment, and so I went and talked to my dad, and uh, he prayed with me and went through the scriptures with me and things like that, and it only took me about uh, maybe a month or two, and I was 100% sure that that was my calling, was to pastor. And so I got called to pastor, I came to Burton Parker the next year to get a Christian Studies degree, and then my first year at Burton Parker, I started pastoring a little church in Vidalia called Normantown, uh, that's where my friend Terrell, he came with me today, he, me and him became friends. Uh, because I was pastoring in Normantown. And uh, and now, this next weekend, actually, I'm about to move down to Florida and uh, see where God leads me there. Oh, wow. Very excited about all that. But yeah. uh, that's just a little bit about me. And uh, during that time, you know, I've learned a lot about the scriptures, learned a lot about the, the word and, and uh, apologetics and how to defend the faith and all kinds of things. And, uh, and preaching is just one of the things that I just enjoy it uh, more than anything, is preaching. Before I get into the sermon, let me, uh, let me go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear God, we just thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together and worship together and study your word together. We, don't lift, we want to lift up uh, Brother Clarence to you, Lord. Just pray for his safe travels uh, during this time. And God, we just pray as we uh, continue to deal with this pandemic in our country, Lord, you just help us to get through it and guide us and uh, just remind us that you are, uh, you are in control that you love us, and that we are yours. And God, as I speak this morning, Lord, I just pray that you speak through me, and speak to us through your word, and just bless us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Alright, so graduation from the University of Life. You ever, anybody in here ever played that board game called The Game of Life? Or heard of it or anything like that? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> about the same. Uh, but you know, when you, when you play The Game of Life, uh, everything in that game is positive. You ever realize that? Yeah. You know, you don't you don't deal with all the negatives and stuff like that. And that's really how we like life to be. It just be all positive. And and uh, if it was all positive, maybe some of these other worldviews out there might uh, actually get some credit. You know, but that's not how life is. You know, you play that game. You you graduate. You or you retire. And you go to college. You retire. Nobody's in debt. You have a nice house. You have a nice family and all this stuff. Well, if you roll the right dice, I guess you have a nice family. Uh, 
But in real life, though, you know, think of life as a university. You know, what kind of classes would you be signing up for if you were signing up for the university of life? You know, for, you know, for instance, when we first come into the world, you know, we're born into the world. We come as, as, uh, as a baby, and, and we have no control, basically, over how we grow up, where we grow up, who our parents are. You know, do we grow up in foster care? Do we grow up in poor homes, rich homes, uh, abusive homes, great homes, <laughs> loving homes? I mean, there's a bunch of different options that are out of our control at that point. And then when you go through the kind of the school time up to graduation and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, you start learning a little bit, start making friends. And I think this is where the <laughs> our sin nature really seems to develop in our lives is we start trying to base our success off of, off of being better than other people or being liked by other people and things like that. Uh, but then as you grow up, though, you start seeing some of the more negative things in life uh, as well through that school time. For instance, you know, I, <clears throat> one of the most traumatic things that happened to me was my, uh, my mom passed away when I was in high school uh, seven years ago, uh, uh, next Monday, actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, was, I was in high school just about to start ninth grade, and uh, it was a very difficult thing to deal with, of course. But things like that start to happen in life, and this is, this is where people start asking the questions. You know, what, what do I have to expect? What am I living for? You know, that's why a lot of people deal with, uh, I'm convinced a lot of people deal with depression and, and suicidal thoughts because their worldview, how they view the world, how they view the, the eternal aspect of the world and our future aspect and things like that, is that they either don't understand it or they don't believe it. And they struggle with those kinds of thoughts. So as you go through school, though, you start struggling with self-image, boastfulness, pride. you got to work on getting good grades or <laughs> work on getting bad grades. <clears throat> you know, that whole C's gets degrees thing, I don't work too hot in college. Because <laughs> you get through it. I've been through a, at least one class. In my first semester of college, I think I went through the class. And a couple of classes, I was just like, yeah, I can you know, kind of ease my way through it. And then I realized after I finished the classes, like, I didn't learn anything. Because I didn't try, I didn't study. Uh, then I started studying and trying and I uh, did real well. But you go through the school time, then you get to graduation. Uh, you get to graduation, you got to figure out, what am I going to do now? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to uh, try to get, just go try to uh, work and get a good job like that? And then it seems like most people, when you first graduate high school, you're going to have financial struggles because it's hard to get on your feet and get started, uh, things like that. And then you finally get to that college and you work your work season and, <clears throat> you know, you're either... You know, making money, you're going to college, or uh, you're trying to start a family, or just trying to do all this at the same time. And then at the same time, though, the world's still moving. You know, the, the news reports are still coming in. There's still bad things happening all across the world. Things that are very, very difficult to deal with. And I also find that a lot of people, during their college and work season, when they first get out of high school, and a little bit in high school, when they first get out of high school and get on their own, that's when they start thinking about faith, and they start thinking about life. Because now it seems that it's really grabbed hold of their minds. But did the same thing for me. <clears throat> and then you get to, you know, midlife. You know, maybe you have a kid, maybe you have a good family. Uh, maybe you don't. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, have midlife crises and things like that. Just thinking about, uh, you know, how much is passed and how much is left. And then you get to the end of life, where you start seeing. You think about everything, everything you've experienced, every bad, every good. Uh, sometimes it just seems like the bad just seems to overwhelm, uh, overwhelm the good. 
if you've been to a lot of, <clears throat> I used to go to nursing homes all the time, and I feel like I could just tell, <laughs> I could tell which ones were the Christians, which ones weren't. Because usually the non-Christians let life beat them down or are very grumpy a lot of times because their worldview wasn't good. And everything they thought about was negative, and all everything they thought about was some kind of sin, something sin-related. Uh, not all of them were like that, but a lot of them were. Then the Christians that really understood the worldview were excited, <laughs> and always excited and ecstatic and uh, sometimes mean. <laughs> but you think about life, though, from beginning to end. You know, if there is no God, if there is no Christ, there is no Messiah, then you are born into this world, and you die in this world, and that's basically it. And like Bill Nye, the only purpose in life is just to make the world better for your kids and for your grandkids. Now, that doesn't seem like the course anybody wanted to sign up for. <laughs> and I could imagine if Bruce Parker told me, he's like, yeah, you're going to come here, you're going to come for four years, and after four years, you're going to die. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have signed up for Bruce Parker then. Well, maybe metaphorically, that's actually what they told me, but... <clears throat> But that's only, though, that's only what life is like if there is no God and if Jesus Christ isn't who he said he was. Amen. So how do we graduate from that university of life? How do we graduate from a world in, in Ecclesiastes? He says the world is vanity, all is vanity, all is emptiness. How do we graduate from a life like that to a life with purpose and meaning? I think the answer is definitely found in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at graduating from the University of Life and moving into the University of Christ. Let me start here in uh, Romans chapter 5, though. This kind of leads up, you know, in the, when the Bible was originally written, there was no, <laughs> if you've ever seen an original manuscript of the Bible, it was just Greek letters. There was no spaces, no commas, no punctuation, and they were just all together. <laughs> and very difficult to read. But luckily, somebody went through the struggle and <laughs> made our Bibles the way we see them today. We split them up into in sections and stuff like that. Uh, but this verse here, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, opens its way into chapter 6. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So my question here before we get into the three things we must do as believers. Is are you misusing grace? Grace is, grace is key. <laughs> grace is key to salvation. Grace is key to uh, sanctification where we grow. As a Christian, uh, one of my favorite passages, y'all have to turn there if y'all want, but it's in the Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Every time I talk about the gospel, I usually have to come to this. If you share the gospel with people a lot or talk about the Bible and, and your relationship with Christ a lot, a lot of people seem to bounce back to this idea that we are saved by works, not by grace. And so I always have to remember this, this, these two verses right here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace... There's the word grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved by grace. We need, we have to have grace to be saved. 
We have to have grace to be saved. Because, like he also says in Romans, no one is righteous, not even one. And to be in the presence of God, you have to be righteous. And so God's grace and Jesus Christ made it to where we can be righteous. But as Christians, though, uh, he's talking about here, he's talking about following the law and, and the difference between law and grace. And a lot of people are saying, well, <clears throat> you know, the, you know, we still need to keep the law. A lot of the Jews, when they became Christians, were trying to, keep, were trying to say we need to keep the law and follow every single ritual that the Jews were doing before Jesus came. And Paul had to tell them many times that we are saved by grace. We're not saved by the law. We're not saved by doing good works. We are saved by grace. And, that, and now he starts getting to this weird relationship, really, really deep thought. Romans is probably one of the toughest letters to understand in the New Testament. But he gets into this really deep thought about our lives before we become Christians and our lives after we become Christians. He talks about how before we become Christians, sin is our master. And after we become Christians, Christ is our master. Goodness is our master. <clears throat> so there's three things we must do to understand how Christ is our master and to understand how we can get into the university of Christ. So look at, uh, starting in verse 3 of Romans chapter 6, we're going to read down to verse 10. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Did you catch that? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Amen. So the first thing we have to see here in this passage is we have to, we have to know what our identity is in Jesus Christ. It says we are, you know, if you're baptized, a lot of pastors will say you are buried with Christ. In, in baptism, you're raised to walk in newness of life, symbolic of what Christ did for us on the cross and through his life. He conquered death. He conquered death. Now, it says walk in newness of life. It doesn't say walk in perfectness of life. Because the Bible says, even as Christians, you know, if, we tell, if we say we have no sin, we call God a liar. Even Christians have plenty of sins. That we deal with. That's why we have to have grace as we grow in Christ as well. But here's the difference, though, is that we are freed from sin. So before we are saved, it's like we find all of our all of our desires, all of our passions, is in doing things that are not right, is in doing sin. But now we've been forgiven for all that sin. Our old self has died. We've forgiven. We've been forgiven for all that sin by the one person that truly matters. <laughs> I'm sure we all got people in our lives where you know, we probably did something to them, they just have not forgotten it. <laughs> or they haven't forgiven you, you know. A lot of people say forgive and forget or whatever. But God, though, God is the only person that truly matters 
that we receive his forgiveness. So read verses 6 and 7 one more time. It says that we, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So now we are freed from this bondage of sin. But now, though, now that our, our master is Christ, the things that we find our fulfillment in is in the things that Christ finds his fulfillment in. You know, the word for Lord in, in the Greek is kurios, means Lord, Master, Sir. I mean, he literally becomes our master in this way to where it's not where we're just following a bunch of set of commands. It's like we find our fulfillment in doing the things that Christ wants us to do, doing the things that Christ did himself. You ever notice that, though, as a Christian, when you do do something wrong? <coughs> oh, I said do do. <laughs> but you know, when, as a Christian, when you do something wrong, <coughs> uh, you know, you ever find that when you, when you do that thing, that it feels like it's just eating you up inside, because you know that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You know you're supposed to be doing what God wants you to do. So now it's because we find our fulfillment to the things of Christ. And the works that we do are now for the glory of God. Let me read verse 10 one more time. It says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So as Christians, we now live our lives to God. How scary is that to think? Before we were Christians, we were living our lives to Satan. <laughs> the worst being, in the spiritual realm, the physical realm, every single realm possible, the very worst being, was receiving glory from our actions. It's horrible. But now, we're made new. And we have an awesome new way to look at the world. Amen. Amen. Now let's look at verse 11. This next one is, is just one verse here. It says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the first thing is you got to know, you got to know what it means to be a Christian. Know what it means to have a new identity where you don't find your passions and your fulfillment in sin anymore. You find your passions and fulfillment in Christ. The second part is to reckon it. To reckon it to be true. To, to live it out in your life. To consider yourself dead to sin or truly believe it. But don't only just consider yourself dead to sin, but, you know, thank God for his butts, right? Consider yourselves alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. Amen. But this, this mindset of reckoning, and the next part is yielding, we're going to get to in just a second, but this reckoning, it's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that you, you work on. I mean, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. So don't be discouraged. You know, if you feel like, man, I just feel like I'm so far away. A lot of people do that to me. And, you know, when you walk around, it's, it's so weird being a preacher. And the people hear I'm a preacher and they'll say, whoa, shoot, you know, I got to make sure I don't I watch my mouth around you and all this stuff. And, you know, they just feel like they got to live this completely different life and feel like they can't live up to some standard, apparently, that I have created <laughs> just by being a preacher. Uh, it's a very, very weird feeling. But I find a lot of people are discouraged because there's like this, this you know, this goal out there they feel like they can never reach you know but 
even though the Bible tells us to, to reach for that goal, it doesn't tell us that, you know, to beat yourself down every time you don't reach that goal because we're never going to reach it until we're glorified into a new body. Amen. So don't be discouraged if you feel weak in that area, but just be encouraged and motivated to become more dependent on your new identity in Christ. Now let's look at these last few verses here, verses 12 through 14. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. There's that word passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So this last part here is to yield to the truth. So you have to know what the truth is about your new identity. You have to reckon yourself dead to sin. And you have to yield to this truth daily in your life. <clears throat> so a lot of times, you know, we, we deal with the sin. We're thinking, man, I just, I don't think I can overcome this sin every once in a while. But that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says we can overcome everything because we have a new identity in Christ. We are dead to sin. And that sin has no power over us. But again, though, we can still sin. We can you know, harden our hearts. We can grow cold to sins. But our life ultimately is changed. And our bodies become living and holy sacrifices to God. And we live out the life of Christ. You ever thought about that when, you, when you're talking with people and dealing with people and you know, you ever thought about that? Maybe you're the only person that they'll ever see a representation of Christ. Amen. <laughs> that's a deep feeling. I feel like a lot of times we kind of push that thought to the side and think, well, you know, that's okay. You know, somebody else will come around and, or somebody else will share the gospel with them or somebody else will show them how Christ loves them. But we are called to do that. I've sat around in a room now. I don't... I don't I don't claim to know a whole lot. <laughs> I claim to know a little bit, not a whole lot. But I sat around in rooms before with people, and I'm just, you know, I hear people talking and chatting, and I'm thinking, somebody's going to step in and say something here, talk about God or Jesus or something. And I look around, I'm like, there's nobody here who's going to do it. <laughs> and you have to step up and say something. So if we pursue the things of God, we will find our true fulfillment. But if we continue, though, to pursue the things of the world as Christians, that's where the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in. You know, if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and we sin, when we sin, we're going, to, we're going to grieve that Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not like it. Sin, we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's where conviction comes from. That's where uh, our guilt comes from. But this is also a process, though, as we become more and more like Christ in our lives. And man, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, imagine all the people. I mean, Christ, just in his, with, because of his character and, and uh, his abilities and things like that, I mean, Christ had multitudes following him. Multitudes. <laughs> you ever look around, and I, I've, I've been with you know, family members and, and uh, jobs and different things where it just seemed like people were just not getting along. <laughs> and I'm like, man, if y'all just knew, you know, if y'all if just knew how much Christ loved you, and you realize how much Christ loved you, loving other people over these silly issues would be easy. <laughs> it's easy. And I'm convinced as Christians that's where we learn how to love, is by 
learning how Christ first loved us. It talks about that in 1 John, I believe. But once we realize how much Christ truly loved us and how much God loves us, then it's a lot easier for other people, to, for us to love other people. And I always think about Jesus on the cross. You know, I think about the worst thing anybody's ever done to me, and then I compare it to Jesus on the cross. Jesus was being crucified. I mean, we sure we probably all heard a little bit of that process of crucifixion. You know, he was flogged. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And, you know, Mary made him carry the, the cross beam all the way up this hill of Calvary, uh, hill of Calvary, and and then when he was up on the cross, you know, they nailed him to the cross. They threw rocks at him. They fun of him. And I guarantee you, if I was up there on the cross, <laughs> the first thing that's not coming to my mind is, God, forgive them for what they do. Amen. First thought in my mind is, I'm going to come off this cross and I'm going to whoop some butt. But <laughs> that's obviously not Christ-like. But when I look at that, though, I see how Christ loved people who were literally torturing him and murdering him. And he still, he still said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen. That kind of love, I'm convinced, can change this entire world. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced it will change this entire world. So let me just close with this. Again, the three things to get from this passage. And sometimes, this is one of those passages you may have to read a couple times <laughs> to really grasp it and get it. And when I, had a, I had a great teacher who wrote a book, and, uh, <clears throat> and so I, I understood this passage. But as Christians, we need to know our identity. We need to know what it's like and what the Scripture tells us about our new identity in Christ and how we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are now enslaved to Christ. Then we need to reckon it to be true. We need to really believe it. And then we need to yield to it in our everyday lives. And I'm convinced that if people don't understand these three things, if they don't understand their identity, they don't understand... Uh, what it means to be dead to sin, they don't know how to yield to it in their daily lives, they're going to struggle tremendously as a Christian. So I just pray today as we uh, do our invitation, uh, I believe we're having an invitation song, as we uh, do our invitation, uh, just, if you're already a Christian, just pray and say, God, I just thank you. <laughs> I thank you for my new self, I thank you for uh, giving me a worldview. That's a lot better than Bill Nye's, you can tell Bill Nye I said that by the way. <laughs> And God, I just thank you for loving me. I just pray that you help me to love other people. And if you never made that decision today, God is willing every day, at any moment, to accept anybody into his kingdom and to give them a new life and a new worldview. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day, Lord. And we thank you all so much for just giving us this new identity. God, as we go through this life and we know there's so many bad things, and I just pray that you just encourage us through your word. Encourage us that you are the beginning and the last. That you are sovereign. You are in control over it all, Lord. And that you love us and you care about us. Even when we may not feel like you do, we know you do. And we thank you for sending your son to this earth to die for our sins and for showing us grace our entire lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
We certainly appreciate Brother Jonathan coming today and speaking for us. We Amen. certainly appreciate that, Amen. Brother. Amen. We, and being in, uh, we need to 